Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Testing, testing. Hello, hello, ladies. This is Isabel P. Rain, Truman, Remihana, checking in from the Cayman Islands. Feeling quite crazy speaking on this mic to you guys. I don't even know why. Um, it feels like it's been ages, even though it's only been a couple of weeks. We miss you. This is the first After Work Drinks episode of 2022. So Happy New Year. All of our lovely listeners. Hope you had the best time um, over the festive break. I'm basically never leaving this island now. Going to set up After Work Drinks headquarters from here. Tax free, you guys, if you hadn't heard. Anyone of our listeners who wants to move over, join the team. Uh, live in Cayman with me, feel free. Um, rode a horse in the ocean today. was pretty scary, to be honest. Would not recommend. But anyway, we'll catch you up on all of this, all of the going on, goings-ons when we return officially. As Grace mentioned last week, over the break, we have picked out some of our favourite interview episodes ever. She obviously picked Trixie and Katia from Drag Race, so if you haven't listened to that hilarious and very chaotic episode that's up from last week and I have picked Mary Beth Barone because Mary Beth Barone our conversation with her happened really early on in 2020's lockdown I honestly think she was one of our first ever interview episodes so if you have a pea brain like mine you've probably forgotten the entire thing if you've listened already if you haven't Mary Beth is or if you haven't and if you haven't heard of her Mary Beth is this iconic New York comedian. She blew up over there when her comedy show Drag His Ass became this sensation all about dating and all about fuckboys. Um, it became such a phenomenon that she got named Paper Magazine's dating columnist. She now hosts a Spotify original podcast with Benny Drama. So she's blown up massively since we last spoke. She came to London recently and performed two sold-out shows. Basically, she just 
the way she her dry kind of humor encompasses like modern dating right now and just being a millennial in this world is just fucking hilarious she had us in stitches this entire conversation she is a self-proclaimed fuckboy addict so we chat to her about her recovery process how to spot a fuckboy her experiences dating both men and women and how many women are fuckboys yes there are women who are fuckboys of course we hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I enjoyed re-listening to it and cackling on the beach like a maniac. Um, uh, la, la, la. The Patreon new content is coming there weekly. So that's patreon.com slash afterworkdrinks if you would like brand new eps over this time um, and obviously ongoing too because we release a second ep there every single week. Um, plus close friends is where it's at at the moment Uh, love you all and chat soon and I'm going to stop talking to myself now bye hi Mary Beth thank you so much for joining us thank you for having me I'm so excited so firstly, you're quarantining at your parents' house, right? How are you finding that and just isolation as a whole? It's been pretty hard. I think the first two weeks was the worst, just getting used to not performing and not being able to see people and not go out and, and just getting used to this new lifestyle. Then I came to Connecticut after I isolated for two weeks. And so I've been here for over a month now. And it feels almost normal, which I was scared for it to get to this point because I I don't want it to feel like this is normal life, but I I definitely have my routine now and just trying to like keep myself busy and make stuff, even though obviously traditional uh, formats are not available right now. So it's weird. It's nice to be home. I feel like I'm kind of falling back into my old ways though, because I'm the youngest of six kids and I'm very youngest child. I have a very youngest child energy. So that's coming out a bit more, I think, for better or worse. Well, yeah, that's we wanted to ask you a bit what you were like as a kid and in high school. But I know whenever I go home and you're probably the same easy, I just revert back to being like all the worst parts of myself as a teenager. I literally arrive home and just kind of collapse on the ground. And I'm like, I physically can't do anything for myself anymore. I've been doing my own washing, my own cooking, everything for fucking years. I just need someone to do it for me. My mom's like, okay. Yeah, I I just want to be taken care of. I just want to be like a little baby so it's I guess as a kid I've my dad got all of our home movies digitized um so we've been revisiting those over the last like year and I guess as a kid I was like pretty similar to how I am now like I took playtime very seriously like it was not a game to me playtime business um and I was definitely very performative as a kid there's a lot of videos of me just being like a a complete like clown just for my siblings entertainment um but I I was a bit of a brat I mean not like super spoiled but I definitely was like I want things my way or not at all and I think that carried through to adulthood as well which I mean I just want what I want you know I think that's fine right Mm -hmm. yeah agreed and when was it that you kind of realized that comedy that you wanted to get into comedy and that it could be an actual career 
So I didn't start doing comedy until I was 24. I had dropped out of college when I was 20 and moved to New York. And then I worked at a startup in startups for four years or so before I started doing comedy. And looking back at videos, actually, it's like really clear to me that that was what I always should have been focused on doing. But I just didn't see performing as like a viable career. So as a kid, I wanted to be an actress. I thought that was very like glamorous and I didn't really know what it took to be an actress, but that was always kind of my dream. And then in high school, I shifted gears. I thought I wanted to go to college and study to be an English teacher. So it wasn't until I dropped out, moved to New York and got really settled in New York City that I decided to try improv. And then from there, it was a pretty quick turnaround. I had been living with my boyfriend and we were going to get engaged and we had a pretty stable life. And then I started doing comedy and I was like, wait, this is what I want to do. And I don't want to do any of that anymore. So that's wow. when I doubled down and quit my job, moved out of our apartment. I obviously had to get full-time jobs, you know, since then, but um, I I was pretty, as soon as I started doing stand-up, I was pretty sure that that was what I wanted to do. So it just became about like how I could support myself in doing that. And then I no longer work, work full-time as of almost a year ago, which is really nice because doing both was like, I, yeah, it was a lot. <laughs> so like stand-up comedy is kind of most people's worst fear realized is that the case for you and you just push through it or do you just not feel that thing that most people kind of feel towards performing I guess I just don't I it's definitely I get nervous even still and like it's obviously uh, you know you're, it's almost like jumping out of a plane without a parachute because you're just like you have no idea how it's gonna go but I just always found the rush of it outweighed the fear and for that reason I just loved it and knew it, I don't know. It was like after my first open mic, I just had this feeling and I am constantly now you're always just chasing that feeling and you want to do more shows and bigger shows and better shows and writing jokes is just so satisfying to me and then performing them in front of an audience. I guess I just like was born without that um, terror that people have when it comes to like public speaking, but it's definitely scary and it doesn't always go well. So you have to just kind of brace yourself for that and be okay with, you know, having bad shows every now and then. Because I can imagine that, like, sometimes you must write something and be like, this is going to kill, and just no one gets it. And then sometimes you have, like, a weird joke that you don't think is even that funny, and people are like, oh, my God, and you're like, what the fuck? Yeah, it's – um, it's I usually run my jokes by um, my gay best friend, Jake, who has a pretty good sense of, like, what people are going to find funny. But sometimes there's jokes where – I think it's so funny and he's like I don't know that one's kind of hard to like get there and then I'll do it in front of an audience and he was totally right but then there are jokes that I've written where people laugh at like a different point than what the punchline is and I'm like oh okay well that's that's the punchline like sometimes I don't even realize what I'm saying is actually kind of dumb and then people will laugh at that part and I'm like wait though but that's not that's not the joke yet but then that becomes a joke and that's how you learn yeah, I think that's even with us, with our podcast in a sense, because it's it's us just chatting and we're best friends and then we'll just talk and we get messages from people being like, that was so fucking funny when you were talking about. And it's like the dumbest aside <laughs> that we weren't even thinking about. Like the other day, Izzy was like, I just love Leslie Mann. And I was like, that's random, but fine. And then like people just like messaged us for some reason we didn't even think twice. You don't know it's going to resonate with people. It's often those like sometimes – you know, I'll deliver a joke and then I'll make like a 
one throwaway comment after, and then that will get a big laugh. And I'm like, okay, well, that's like, now that's part of it, which is why performing live is so important. And like in quarantine, it's been, it's been painful to not be able to tell jokes. So I did a show and I put that in quotes for my parents and my brother and his girlfriend and my cousin who all are here. And we invited some neighbors over to sit on the porch and we like opened the window and I did like a five minute set and it was, it just was not the same. It just didn't. <laughs> I was like, yes, that sounds like the the word. Yeah, no, it's really hard. The to neighbors, stand. they're just like, oh. There, there are like they. It's the neighbors' kids, so they're like young. Um, but they, and then we actually FaceTimed in my two uh, former roommates from before I moved to the West Village, and so I could hear them laughing too. But it just like it just didn't work, and that's when I realized like okay, this is not the solution that I've been waiting for. So I just have to come up with something else. Yeah. So you blew up as a comedian when you started Drag Has Ass, the show, um, which is all about calling out fuckboy behavior. Can you yeah. kind of tell us a little bit about how you? how that concept came about. I assume a few fuck boys. Oh, more than I care to admit, I (laughs) identify as like a fuck boy addict. So I was hooking up, I've been single for over four years now and I've hooked up with a lot of bad people, been on dates with a lot of bad people. And basically I just decided like, I had been fed up with it for a while but I wasn't actually holding myself accountable. So I bought, or I bought a whiteboard. I now make these ones that are like for this specifically. Um, I bought a <laughs> I whiteboard where I was- okay for the for the people listening. It's a whiteboard that says "107 Days Fuck Boy Free," yes. and we're very proud. And that's actually I need to update it. But before I had, I just had like a, I just had like a, a regular whiteboard I bought. Um, and I was I had written "Fuck Boy Free" for X number of days. I wanted to get to 100 days. And I had some slip ups definitely um, where I had to reset it to zero and that obviously sucks. But throughout that process, I would like post on social media and people were really supportive. So I figured like, I'll create a live show where I talk about my treatment program for fuckboy addiction and then have other comedians come on and talk about their experiences. And after the first show, it was so fun and it was like mostly women in the crowd and it just felt like a really good vibe. So I decided to move it to a bigger venue and then start doing fuckboy redemptions, which is where I bring on a fuckboy to talk about what they've done we try to get to the bottom of like why they are the way that they are. And then um, I have them do like a pledge to be better, which obviously, you know, I can't, I don't follow them around after that. I don't know if they're still up to their old ways, but it's been really we need fun. To chicken. And yeah. It, I'm sad because now fuck boys are just out there and I can't help them because we can't, can't chat in front of a live audience. So. So we actually talked about this just before we started recording, but I've recently come out of a five-year relationship, like right before lockdown. So I'm about to kind of dip my toes back into the dating scene. And I feel like it's very different out there. Can you tell me what I need to look out for and what the uh, fuckboy treatment program is? Yeah. So, gosh, there's just so many red flags because fuckboys come (laughs) in all shapes and sizes. I have like this thing I show at Dragon's Ass that's a fuckboy starter pack it's someone who you know wears joggers they wear a big watch maybe they have thigh tattoos they like to vape they vape anywhere and everywhere (laughs) they'll slide into your dms um there there's a lot of them a lot of signs but some people that are like that are good 
And then there's a lot of people who are kind of like a wolf in sheep's clothing. So they'll lure you in and then reveal themselves as fuckboys down the line. So I, I guess my advice to you would be just like make your expectations clear and always communicate and people will straight up lie to you. I mean, that's what happened to me. People just lie. They don't care about other people's feelings, but I do feel like after quarantine, maybe people will clean up their act a little bit because I know there's a lot of lonely people right now who wish that they maybe had someone to quarantine with. And I'm just hopeful that this pandemic will, will fix them, which we'll, we'll have to find out when it's over. Mm. Do you think that fuck boys is a modern phenomenon or that the behavior's gotten worse recently or that we just now have the name to describe toxic behavior men have always used in dating? I think it's been around forever. There's been different versions of it. Like if you watch Mad Men, I would consider Don Draper a fuck boy. I think Jesus was a fuck boy. Um <laughs> Thomas Jefferson was a fuck boy. Like there's, they've, they've exhibited their behaviors throughout history, but now we have this very specific term. And that's, what's funny to me when older people ask me, like, what does it mean to be a fuck boy? Like people not in our generation. Cause it's basically someone who will just lie to sleep with people. And then there's no accountability or like responsibility taken for those actions after you have sex with them. So that's definitely something that's been going on for a long time. But I just think fuckboys have a much bigger footprint now because of social media and dating apps and the access is just more than it used to be. Like before, maybe you could be taking a few girls out in your neighborhood, but now you can be sexting with 20 people in a day and no one, none of the people know that you're, you know what I mean? So it's just, I think there's just more tactics for them to use nowadays. The Instagram account Beam Me Up Softboy is like my favorite thing in history. And I think that. Yeah, we want to get the founder on, but we don't even know who they are. (laughs) And I think that. But it's wild. Yeah. And I think that's that's perfectly describes the fuckboys who are kind of undercover as the boys who, you know, read the novels and they know all your favorite songs and then mm-hmm. they ghost Please and they're the worst kind. fiction. Yes. Yes, of yeah. course. Yeah, they, um, I know. It's like, guys will, this is what I would say, say to watch out for. Guys will, guys love to lure you in by being really emotionally vulnerable and tell you a lot of things about like their life and their relationship with their parents and their exes. <laughs> And then they'll just pull the rug out from under you and gaslight you and be like, I'm not looking for anything serious. And it's like, mm. okay, but you told me all this stuff and like made me feel like you were like letting me in a little bit, but they're all full of shit. And not all of them, but all fuck boys are, I think. And long-term relationships really kind of, they, they gaslight you in themselves because you come out after having someone love you for so long and that you just think you can get anyone. Like literally, I was like that woman from Bridesmaids at her engagement party where you're just like, I'm just going to go find me another man. And yeah. then it's just not like that. It's just dire. It's not like that, unfortunately. And I'm, I'm a living testament to that. But, you know, all these experiences have made me stronger, I think. I mean, like, I had an experience at the end of last year that really pushed me over the edge. So now I, I just don't want to accept anything less than what I deserve. Yes. Amen. <laughs> we wanted to ask a bit because there seems to be a trend with people, but especially women who kind of mine their personal lives for their work. So whether that's stand up or writing, that people then seem to kind of feel entitled to just ask you whatever the fuck 
they want or like to know the intimate details of your dating life like does that get weird when interviewers or people are like so are you dating like I, I was listening to some interviews today and I was kind of shocked at how personal maybe people think they can be with you just because you talk about it in your work yeah it's really funny you bring that up because I feel like I'm like I have a lot of contradictions I'm a Gemini so I feel like I I definitely am a textbook Gemini in that like I don't like to be super open with people who I like when I'm talking one-on-one, but on stage, I'll talk about anything. So I think people see me on stage and they're like, oh, well, she's an open book because she's telling me all these crazy personal details about like this previous situation. And then, yeah, I would say there's a lot of people who like to probe and get super personal. I don't really mind it right now because I'm not, I don't, I'm not like that well-known. So I feel like maybe some of this stuff could come back to haunt me in the future. But right now it feels like if, if sharing my story is going to help someone else, then I'm like totally comfortable doing that. But there have been times where I've been like, whoa, like, okay, they're really going deep right now. And maybe that's my fault for setting a standard that like, I will talk about anything. Um, I don't know who, I don't know who, who's accountable in that situation, but. Mm. So you wrote a column for paper, you've started writing dating columns for them which we both love um about how the pandemic might actually turn things around for singles can you explain that thinking yeah I feel like a lot of the issue with dating before the pandemic was people would sleep together immediately and then expectations hadn't been set or people hadn't been clear about what they were looking for so feelings get hurt I think a lot of times in those situations so I what I've observed with the pandemic is that since people can't hang out in person they are actually taking the time to get to know each other and putting effort in in other ways than just like going out to drinks, getting a little buzzed and then having sex and then not really knowing what to do next. So I'm hoping that this will remind people and myself included that you don't have to rush into being physical with someone. You can get to know them first and see if they're even someone that you would want to date. Like I think a lot of my frustration comes from the fact that I would like put people on a pedestal a little bit before I would even know them that well. And then when they would ghost me, I would be so hurt, but I don't even know what their flaws are yet, you know? So maybe if we had just gotten to know each other more, I would have been not into it myself. So I just think taking more time to get to know someone is going to help everyone in the long run. Yeah. I do that too, where I kind of just dive in head first and I've been trying so hard to not do that. Cause you just, I think it's like, I'm a romantic and also I'm obsessed with people liking me. So then I will, I just want them to like me and it's not even, I probably don't even like them. I feel I'm a romantic as well. And I think this current dating climate has been really hard for romantic people because you always want to see the best in others and hope that things will work out. But mm. it, not everyone's like that. And that can be tough for sure. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great, too. 
That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at UH1.com. So... Um, speaking of getting personal, I'd written down um, that you said in one of your column responses that you were 28 when you started respecting yourself. And I think that would resonate with a lot of our listeners. Can you kind of explain that a little bit? For some reason, when I turned 28, I just realized that like, I'm, um, I mean, I I don't feel like an adult, but I guess I am technically at 28. So I just felt like I need to I need to respect myself before I can start demanding it from others. So even though I got myself into some situations that I am not proud of in the last year, I just felt like I did raise my standards. And like, it took me this long in like the dating world. And obviously, you know, I've had crushes on boys since I was a little girl, like in kindergarten, you know, so it's been a long journey of like, liking people and being disappointed or having long relationships and and falling out of love and I don't know for some reason when I was 28 I just decided like you are worth a lot more than you're giving yourself credit for and it's time to start acting like it and not in a cocky way where I'm like I'm too good for everyone more just like I value myself and if that's not if that's not what I'm projecting then no one's going to value me and sometimes you can kind of realize that like intellectually and it takes a really long time to actually like get it get it like I think I feel like I've had so many times where you kind of have that eureka moment and then all of a sudden it's been three years and you're fucking back there again and you're like how did we get back here <laughs> I know, they're it's kind so of like tricky. actually enacting it is so <laughs> fucking hard well it's it, there is a disconnect between like knowing something is true and then actually putting that into action so it's been I've been in therapy for like three years and I have made a lot of progress in some areas and not so much in others but I think it is a constant struggle because it's I'm really good at making excuses for other people especially when I like them so I feel like I've done that in the past but I in those times I was not putting myself first and that's really what it comes down to I think for me Pivoting onto something slightly different, as a comedian, obviously your job is to make people laugh and I can imagine that people can maybe sometimes forget that that's your job and just expect you to be on all the time. Is that kind of a thing that you deal with in your life? Definitely. I mean, it helps that my stand-up is like pretty deadpan and so no one's expecting me to come in and like, you know, be the loud kind of outgoing voice in the room. I definitely like to be social but I struggle to be social in groups of comedians because it's like people constantly trying to one-up each other and be the funny one and like who can riff off what this person said and like who can be the center of attention so I really value my friendships with non-comedians and comedians as well I love to like have friendships with them one-on-one but I do think when it's a group of us together it can just become it's too much for me I can't handle it I like need a nap after and I, I do think though some people and even when I started doing comedy some people are like but you're not funny and I'm like well maybe I'm not like you know dressed as a clown and feel <laughs> but um there's other there's different ways of being funny than just that I think mm. um 
so you've been open about the fact that you recently started dating women. Do you mm. find that dating scene different and are there less female fuckboys? So there's definitely, there are definitely female fuckboys. When it comes down to the numbers, I'm not sure where things break down, but dating women is so different, at least in my experience. And I've dated a lot more men than I have women, but it was, I dated someone last summer and it was, um, that was the first woman I had been with. And, and it was just a totally different experience. There was a lot more like checking in and talking about feelings and talking about what we wanted. And it was almost like going from dating men to that was like, whoa, this is crazy different because men aren't as good at communicating. That's something I know for sure. And I, I have not been like, I guess I have had dating apps at certain points in the past. So, you know, you would have like girls and guys turned on for your settings. And I just feel like you should be able to have two different profiles if that's the case, because guys want you to look kind of like hot and dumb. Whereas girls want you to <laughs> oh look my God. Yes. I've like been like very much stressing out about this dating app thing. It's, it's, We've been working on the profile. It's hard with, it's hard when you're looking for both because the things that appeal to guys aren't necessarily going to appeal to girls. Even with, with Hinge, I remember even the questions that you would have, like something that's funny to a guy that I know is like straight guy humor, a girl would see that and be like, what, this, what the fuck, you know? So <laughs> it's, it's a balance for sure. Yeah. Um, and I mean, we briefly touched on it earlier, but being ghosted is something that basically every millennials had to deal with. Um, and it can be kind of incredibly diff- difficult to want to open up again and even go back to dating. Um, yeah. What's your experience been there in terms of trusting again, I guess? Oh, it's, it's really hard to build that back up because you, it's just being ghosted, especially after you sleep with someone. If you've been on a few dates with someone and they ghost you, that's shitty, obviously. But if you've had sex with them and they do it, that's just it's like a real knife to the chest and it made me really scared to open up to people or let them in at all. So especially because I got to a point where I was being very upfront with my expectations with people, like before we would have sex, I would be like, just, so you know, I'm not looking for a one night stand. So if we have sex, I expect to hang out again. Like I'm going to want to like see where this goes type of thing. And there were just so many times where guys would be like, yeah, yeah, of course. And then that was not actually their intention. So I think as far as being able to open up again, that's something I definitely had to work towards in therapy because my therapist always says like the fear of getting hurt is often worse than actually getting hurt. So I try to remind myself of that when I'm trying to open up to someone new because I just like inherently don't trust people now. But it's again, as you said, like I am a romantic. So in my heart, I still believe that there are good people out there who are worth like taking a risk for. I guess I'm just trying, I, I've been very closed off to dating in the last like year or so. Like I don't really, I'm not trying to pursue dating right now, if that makes sense, because I'm just so scared of getting hurt, which is like really sad actually. <laughs> I feel the same. There's a self-protective mechanism that kicks in once it's happened a few times. We always tell our listeners, because we found out recently that we have listeners that are in high school, which freaks <laughs> us out because... That's like a, a young mind that we're melding, mm. and we we're like never date a drummer or a photographer. Yeah, no musicians. Piece of advice. No, no sports. Yeah, no, sp- no sportsmen. Yeah, it's there's a long list of people not to date. I don't really know who is. 
I don't know what profession is, oh, is wow. like good nowadays. <laughs> I would say musicians there. are just like just a no-go zone and every woman has fucking been there. <sighs> musicians, yeah. especially if it's like a male singer, singer songwriter who like is like, I just think how narcissistic you'd have to be. I mean, as someone who does stand-up comedy, I'm like, obviously I have narcissistic tendencies also, but like how much of a narcissist do you have to be to like write songs and think people want to like hear? I don't know. It's just like male music. <laughs> I, I can't, I can't with them. I just can't. Me either. No, it's a phase we all have to go through. So you've talked a bit um, in interviews about how you've been quite kind of strategic about building up your career, which we loved because sometimes I think people don't want to admit that they're doing a lot of planning behind the scenes. Yeah. So can you talk about um, what, like how you strategized your career because you've been very successful in a very short amount of time and what your kind of plans are going forward? Yeah, well, first of all, thank you for saying that. Um, I... I don't go to, I, I never think, I wonder what it will take for me to feel like I'm successful. Maybe if I like win an, an EGOT, like if I EGOT, then I'll be like, okay, cool. I did it. <laughs> um, but when I go to sleep at night, I'm like, you're not doing enough. So I guess the thinking for me, so it previously to doing comedy, I was like a project manager, which is very like you plan things out and you execute them. And it's very, there is a lot of strategy behind it. So I wanted to view my career and approach it as a business. I'm basically starting my own company, but the product I'm selling is me. So just being really thoughtful about like what I'm putting out and making sure that it's always my best work and also putting things out. I think a lot of writers and uh, creatives are their own worst enemy in that they don't actually want to like, they like to talk about making things and then not actually doing it. So early on, I was really like determined to not be one of those people and to if I had an idea for something to actually sit down and do it and like figure out what's the best release strategy and what's the best platform to put this out and how often should I be posting and up to now it was really important to me to put stand up online because I think a lot of people see like a young female and maybe they think that I am not a good joke writer or that I don't write jokes or that you know I'm just an internet comedian or whatever that is so it was always important to me to make sure that I had jokes online. Obviously, I'm pretty much going through all my material that I have filmed right now because um, I can't perform live. And by the time we get out of the pandemic, I don't think most of those jokes will be relevant anymore. So it's it's been just trying to think about like, if I'm my tar target audience, what's the what do I wanna see? And then making it and putting it out there. And it's really scary. I would say putting things online is more scary than doing stand-up because it's there forever. But just sometimes I'll have to text my friends and be like, tell me to post this right now because otherwise I won't do it. And then they're like, just do it. Just shut up and do it. And then it's like, it's, it always ends up being fine. But I think it's like just being thoughtful about, you know, what my voice is and, and how, how I'm delivering that to people. That's always been really important to me. I think we feel the same with... Um even just with the kind of self-promotion thing. And I think it's so much more of a an issue for women because we're just not used to it at all. Like we got featured the other day, just it's not even a big deal, but I was like our f followers and also advertisers and people who need to see that we're 
doing well we need to post these sorts of things and both of us would I text Grace and I was like this is cringe I don't want to post it and she was like I, I don't know. want to fucking post it either and then no one even thinks you like, everyone's just doesn't have any idea what's going on because and then you post it and everyone's like this is great we're so happy for you and everything's so positive but you just feel yeah it's your inner saboteur that's what they say on drag race it's like that's out the that's name our last episode was oh cool. Cool. yeah they're just like, that in your head but it's not in anyone else's head I'm sure there's like people that talk shit about me and what I post, but I don't care. You know, like I need to, yeah, I feel the same way when I have to like post a screenshot of something, but it's like, this is my work. Like I want people to know about it and they're not going to know if you don't tell them. So that's, it's a very tough, like it's inner turmoil for me, but ultimately you just have to like keep putting yourself out there. We wanted to touch on the kind of success ambition question that you kind of brought up before because it seems like everyone we talk to are people who are very successful in their field and very good at what they do and there's like a shared thing of never quite feeling like you're good enough or never feeling like you've hit the thing and we've spoken to actresses and writers who've kind of said I'll be like all I wanted to do like we talked to this actress Nesta Cooper last week and she was like all I wanted to do was get a Netflix show and then I booked the lead on a Netflix show and all I could think about was 10 other actresses that had done that when they were 21 instead of 25 or whatever and it's just kind of amazing that if your barometer is just ahead of whatever you're doing it kind of doesn't even matter what you achieve because you're always disappointed. I know and my friends have to remind me like you I think like yeah, it's something that maybe it's just the people that get into this industry all have that in common because they always want to know like, what's the next thing? What's coming up? I'm not doing enough. Like maybe that's just a sensibility that people in this field share, but it is really hard because no matter what happens, I'm always wanting to know like, what's the next step? What's the next thing? And even in my personal life, I find that that comes up a lot. Like I, I really struggle to just be excited about the present moment. And so even with like dating, it's like, if I like someone, I'm like, okay, but then I try to plan out, like, what are the different ways that this could go? And then I'm like, okay, when do we get to the next step? Like, what's the, and that's just like, not, I work on this in therapy too, just trying to like, enjoy the moment and be excited, but it's really hard. Like, it's just, I, it's something I struggle with. It's just like, okay, I got this cool. Even when this like timeout women of the year thing came out, which was like women who are making New York cooler. I was like, okay, cool. Like, but what's the next thing where it's like, no, no, you can like, people are texting me being like, that's so cool. That's like amazing that you were like in that group. And I'm like, yeah, it's fine, but it is cool. And I Mm. should be okay with like, you know what I mean? It's just my brain. We need to, um, we need to check in with each other all the time about this. So I'll message grace and i'm like even last night we were on the phone and she was like remember when we said this is how many listeners we oh this is how many listeners we wanted to get and then we passed that weeks ago and we just haven't even talked about it (laughs) we're just like okay what's fucking next yeah we're like oh my god but it's not this much like it's just so silly it's it's sick i think like for me part of it comes down to like compart i like to compartmentalize and like keep things in the little box so that i can like put it away when i'm done and i think if i just if I just have like laser focus on what comes next, for some reason that's easier to do, but it's not good. You guys should be excited. It's like amazing to reach your goals. It's like, that's insane that a goal and then reach it. It's actually crazy. Yeah. My therapist has been um, a very big help as well. And it's funny because you said a quote from your therapist just before, and we've basically been quoting mine nonstop because I started seeing her real, I started seeing her weekly 
when I was going through the breakup, basically a month before the breakup, I started seeing her. And then it was like this turmoil, this insane time. It was horrible. It was like literally the worst time of my life. And then now we're coming out the other side and we're actually working on these little things, which I guess I probably would never have even gone to therapy for in the first place until there was like a big issue that I needed to fix. And then now I'm realizing that all these little things, like what you're saying is working on your ambition and working on being in the present and working on wanting to be by yourself first is just so important but I think people put off therapy until it's like there's a big issue that you need to go and fix the therapy is so interesting to me for a few reasons and one of them is like why I firmly believe like whenever you start going to therapy that's the right time because you can't go like no one can force you you have to be ready to do it otherwise it's going to be a waste of time but the other thing is like what I started going to therapy for I don't even talk about anymore Like what actually was the kick in the butt to get me to go to therapy? We bring up in the last five minutes of a session, maybe like once a month, but that was just what I needed to like push me over the edge to finally go. And then the real healing started when we got through that and like onto other things that are now the bulk of what we discuss. So it's just so, I feel like a lot of people have that experience and it's like, I don't know. I'm like a huge proponent of therapy, obviously. So good for you for going. I think that's great. Mm. I love her. I'm like seeing her fortnightly every. Izzy's footing the bill for our entire listenership because she just like basically parrots out the whole. I know. I'm like, if she ever fucking listens to this, she's going to be like, you legally can't like basically record me and play it to your (laughs) listeners. You're fixing too many people. Yeah. Um, The last thing that I wanted to ask, because we're obviously aware that we've kept you for a while, but um, in any entertainment focused industry, uh, Obviously, there is an element of feeling like there's a limited amount of spots for people, you know, and and I think for women as well, there tends to be this cultural thing that pushes us into thinking that the already small amount of women are our competition and we need to be against them instead of rallying with them. Have you kind of found a good way of having a support network in the industry and vying out of that attitude of, of competing instead of collaborating? Yeah, I, I think having pe- having peers that you can become friends with and confide in is so important because they know what you're going through. Like there are definitely moments that I have where I will see something someone else is doing and I'll be, you know, I'll screenshot it and send it to my friend to be like, oh, this is so frustrating. But I made a big point to not do that this past year. Like I wanted to really just keep my eyes on my own paper and focus on what I was doing because what I've come to realize is that no one has the career that I want. Only I can have that. Like no one's doing what I'm doing. And I'm, and when I see what other people are doing now, I can be genuinely happy for them instead of feeling jealous and like things are unfair or that we're pitted against each other. It's like, I'm so happy for the women that are in my like generation of comedy. Cause I feel like people are really creating their own space and they have their own unique voice because if you have a unique voice you don't have to worry about someone else like quote unquote taking your spot because only you can do what you're doing so that's how I feel about the things that I've made and and my comedy and my writing and and my you know brand or whatever I just feel like no one's doing it like I'm doing it and in that way I'm not worried I'm not worried about competition because I'm going to, I'm going to build a career that I want and no one else can do that. And like, as soon as you get that idea out of your head, that there's a limited amount of room, 
then everything just feels great all of a sudden because people can be doing similar things to you and you just switch your thinking from like, oh my God, who's doing this? They've done this. I haven't done this to just like, oh great. There's just a whole bunch of women all doing amazing stuff. How good. It's, it's really been fun to watch too. And I think a lot of like women and LGBTQ plus like the presence of those voices has grown so much, even just in the last four years that I've been doing comedy. And that's really exciting to me. And I also think like, if, if you can remind yourself too that everyone is feeling the same way that they're not doing enough or someone might look at you and think like, I wish that I was doing what they're doing. It's like, we all struggle with the same problems and no one is like fully satisfied with their career, at least no one that I know. So there, we have a lot more in common than we have different, I think, when it comes yeah, to that. Yeah, that's so true. Okay, well, thank you so much for your time. We just have one final question that we're asking everyone because the series is After Work Drinks With, which we would love to actually be having a drink with you. Um, okay. What is your favorite bar in New York and your drink of choice? Oh, gosh. Well, my drink of choice is a tequila soda splash of pineapple. Um, because I, or a margarita. <laughs> I, I find that I, funny. I, yeah, everyone's like, what is that? Um, <laughs> I only drink tequila. Sometimes I'll drink wine, but mostly it's tequila. Um, and you have to really cut that with something else. Otherwise I'll black out in like five minutes. But as far as my favorite bar, um, probably 169 bar, which is in Chinatown. And it got really popular because it was like in a couple of movies over the last few years. But when I first moved to New York, it was like around the corner for me and they have really good coconut shrimp randomly so <laughs> it's like very divey and gross but it's it, I have a lot of memories there a lot of good times sounds very up out alley yeah yes um well thank you again so much for coming on we're very stoked to chat to yeah, you thank so much you. for having me we will hopefully see you live soon A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.